Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! You know, Troy, I cannot think of a better way to kick off a Wednesday evening than by sitting here at my laptop with a can of claw looking at your face on my screen. It's becoming a ritual. I feel like this is becoming a, my, my defined Wednesday evening, week after week, no matter what stands in our way, even if it is a film festival... You're still making it happen. So I'm happy to see your face. Yeah. Yes, it is a, it's a, it's become, yeah, it's pretty much become our Wednesday routine. Wednesday seems to be our recording night. Something for us to look forward to. And you have your white claw. I have my raspberry bubbly because I'm not drinking because I feel like this weekend I'm going to drown my nerves in alcohol. So I'm just having my, my little raspberry bubbly for now. I wonder if we can somehow like pitch this to uh, the individual companies uh, for a form of advertising at this point. Um, brought to you by White Claw, the, the the gay man's preferred beverage of choice. That's not true. I know a ton of gays who hate White Claw. But I personally love it because I find it refreshing and I find it bubbly and it's light and effervescent, just like the film we're going to talk about today. Um, I, oh, you know what? I'm with you though. I just gotta say, I, I love White Claw. In fact, there was a, uh, the grocery store here in Houston, HEB had a summer edition variety pack that had all these wonderful flavors that I've never seen before. They had like lime margarita, oh. uh, strawberry daiquiri, watermelon oh, mojito. Exotic. I know. I'm like, oh, I am snatching that yes. shit up. Boxes so, of it. Boxes yeah. of it. I'm really get. uh, I don't know how this is going off into a, uh, conversation about hard seltzers, uh, considering our movie of choice and everything. I guess we needed it. It's been a long week. We need to talk about hard seltzers. I love the Truly Lemonades. Oh my God. It's like drinking a real lemonade. It's refreshing as all hell. Anyways, enough about that. <laughs> On to the, the real meat and bones of this situation. Uh, literally, there's a lot of it in this movie. Um, we are talking about a movie that really I've got to say, before I even announce the uh, the title, because I know that everyone listening is going to have an opinion on this one. Um, this movie is a very defining film for me and my journey with the horror genre. Um, it was one of the really uh, prominent standout feature films of my high school experience. A time that I felt was really formative for me as a fan of the genre. Um, and I just, it, it's one of those movies that some people have certain opinions on it. I, um, I have a soft spot for it. A soft, meaty spot for it that could easily be sawed into with a chainsaw. And that movie is the 2003 remake 
of the iconic, 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 I can't stress enough, iconic, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and it was very taboo when it hit. Troy, what do you think of this one? You know, Roger, this one, I, this one sort of came at the very beginning of the remake craze. It did. It was one of the first. And that's why I say taboo. Yes, it was one of the first. So this was before I think a lot of horror fans had like remake fatigue because really the only remakes I can think of that came out before this one was like the Psycho remake, which was atrocious. Um, and what other, I can't really think of, um, they remade, um, this was around the time of like Dawn of the Dead. I'm talking about, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm talking about like the, like, like the classic slasher titles though. Yeah, no, this really was one of the, like the Platinum Dunes definitive horror remake of that era. And people were really torn on it and opinionated when it came out because of that. Well, you know what? I will say that when this was announced people you know were like oh god why do they got to remake the texas chainsaw massacre that's a classic you can't touch it then i remember very distinctly because the very first time i saw the trailer for this film i was working at a casino the rhythm city casino in good old davenport iowa sounds like a good time it was a good time i was the cage cashier i had to count all the money um but man with power I was in the I was in the break room having my lunch and the trailer for this came on. It was the first time of me seeing it. And there was a couple of other employees in there and we were just like, oh, my God, that is I was hooked. I was like, I got to see this movie. I will say that the trailer for this film is one of the if not the best horror trailers of all time. Oh, it yeah. really went in and, and did its job. And I mean, the I remember very distinctly, like the noise of like the camera, uh, yeah, and just the different flashing of images. It perfectly balances like fresh imagery and like you know you're watching a movie within the same like universe as the original. You can tell there's a lot of influence from the original movie that bleeds over into the film and the trailer. It just it makes it very clear that those involved with the film had a knowledge of the material and how they were presenting it. And I think that is because there's quite a few members from the original production mm-hmm. attached to this, yeah, you know, I think and that shows. Like, yeah, I think it was the, the same cinematographer. Um, and yeah, so you're right there. It is, uh, I mean, the trailer for this film is really kind of what I think made people changed their mind about the initial impression of them making remaking the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it was so impactful, so good. Uh, it was like a sensory overload. And so I remember then I saw this film on opening day in the, in the theater when it opened up, I was, I saw it on opening night and the, the theater was packed and it was an experience. It was an experience that I will not forget. It was it was people either had a very strong positive reaction to the film or there were the handful of people that were like giggling when when it was kind of parts that weren't supposed to be funny. Um but I did see this at opening night and I left with a very strong positive impression of the film. I I really did. I was like this is if you're going to take a classic film and remake it, this is how you do it. You don't do what Psycho, what Gus Van Sant did with Psycho, 
and and do a shot by shot remake that's pointless and it ended up being a, a terrible film i'm sorry i'm sorry if you like the psycho remake but god what a piece of shit um totally miscast but we we're not talking about this this one on the other hand this is a, a remake done right because there was enough homages to the original film in this but then there were also things that were new they were trying to do their own thing and i hate i hate the fact that now every time a horror remake is announced they're saying oh it's not a remake it's a reimagining but i really think that you can use that word for this particular film this was a a reimagining of the original source material and not in a not in a um offensive condescending way i'm looking at you black christmas 2019 oh don't get me started <laughs> right um, but this was this is something this was a reimagining done right. I, I really think upon two more viewings because I watched this film two more times to to prepare for this episode. I also think it holds up pretty well. Oh my god, yes! I think I think that has a lot of things in its favor that uh, have sustained its positive word of mouth if, if i hear anything about this movie these days it's leaning more towards the positive response the positive reception of of a remake and i think it's aged very well um i think especially in comparison to some of the other remakes that have followed um i feel that when it first came out it was just so shocking i remember being shocked at the fact that oh my god they'd remake a movie like that to me it just wasn't really up for um an option at that point like there had been remakes prior to that of some classic titles but not not one of these like defining slasher figureheads that have become so prominent like you know the freddies and the jasons these hadn't happened yet this was really the first one i think that it caused a a reaction within the community and we all know how diehard the community is and people were torn but i think after uh, upon observing this film as its own entity and what they do bring to the table. It's so hard to deny that it's a well-made film and an effective film at that, that does what uh, it's trying to accomplish, which is being a respectful homage to the original material. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan. It sounds like you're a big fan. And um, I, I'm so excited to discuss this with you and really get into it. Uh, one thing I really want to point out, we don't always develop um, or acknowledge the cast uh, go through and actually like kind of name the cast off. It's not necessarily something we do with every one of our uh, reviews, but I do want to take a moment to acknowledge how many individuals within this cast specifically have a, not only had really fruitful careers, but B there's a lot of like individuals who have leaned into the horror genre, uh, like Erica Learson who plays Peppa, who who um who was in um the Blair Witch Book of Shadows? Yep, and she was in Wrong Turn Two, which I love. I I love Wrong Turn Two more than any yeah, any yeah me too directed DVD sequel yeah, ever. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. <laughs> um and yeah and uh we have Mike Vogel mm. who's been in an array of films. He's beautiful, but God, he's really had some. Um, he was even like the Poseidon remake and everything. He's good for a remake. Yeah. He's good well, for a remake. He's good for way more than that. I, <laughs> I know because of the amount of baby oil that covers his amazing body. I'm, I'm going to say, movie. yeah, I'm just going to put it out there in this film. I'm sorry. One of the, if not the sexiest horror character 
I've ever laid eyes on in a horror film. I cannot take my eyes off. But I'm a sucker for, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed. But, you know, just the really? tight muscle shirties <laughs> wave. Yeah. Oh. The tight. <laughs> Go <But>. on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I need to see you in a little tight muscle shirt. Oh, my God. Right it would not look like that. But. Let me tell you. I wish. Oh, I But wish. he is. But he is beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. But and, but you know, but we'll get there because I have a, I have a little qualm about his character. I understand. Um, I understand. I mean, and the characters aren't perfect. But I will say, across the board, one of the best looking casts in a horror movie. There's not. There's not. There's not. A, that's not the a main, weak link. The main, yeah. No. The main five. I don't care. And you. And you know what? You can throw glasses on Jonathan Tucker oh. and pretend that he's a, a nerd. But you can't no, throw glasses man. on that ass because that ass <laughs> is a delight. And if you've ever seen The Bruins, you know it looks good naked too. Um, but overall, great cast. And aside from the beautiful focal characters, what an amazing supporting cast. I mean, the villains stand out. I can't think of a modern depiction of a villain that has really been as prominent or effective or uh shock provoking as the sheriff yeah the sheriff oh my sheriff Mm. point in this movie i remember seeing this and his dialogue was just bone chilling and that performance is mind-blowing what a great character and totally like you can tell he just made it his own you know he did he deserved an oscar nomination for full metal jacket where he plays the um the uh drill sergeant in that film yeah but yeah he's he's equally as chilling in this as he was in that yeah so overall great cast uh great yeah great cast and i love the fact that they they do they start the film with a voiceover that's very similar to the voiceover we get in the original film and it's actually narrated by the same person that did the voiceover in the original and i told you john larroquette from night court if you ever remember the 80s sitcom night court he did the opening narration for the original 1974 film, and he came back and gladly did it for this one. It, what a great way to start. Yeah. So that is a nice little touch. So right away, you kind of know, oh my gosh, this this film is really, you know, respecting the original source material. Um, even though the, you know, the narration isn't exactly the same. It's just a, it's, you know, oh, you know, we're, we're about to watch a film that, you know, Depicts the fate of that befell five youths. Uh, and he talks about the Hewitt residence, the 1,300 pieces of evidence collected at the Hewitt re- residence. Which is a different last name from the original series. The original is Sawyer. So already they're both establishing the same tone as the original series, while also being its own original entity. Because they're quick to state something that is not a clone of the original. I, I like that. I haven't seen the original for a while, but I don't remember. I don't think in the original they say that the police did. They say they found the house. I don't remember. I haven't seen the original for a while. I have to go back and rewatch it. I can't remember if they in the opening narration if they said the police found the house. I thought it was they couldn't find any evidence of the crime taking place. But in this one, they they say they they obviously they find this they find the Hewitt house. They they collect evidence, and then we get a um, like found footage style camera scene walkthrough of the police chief walking through the the basement of the home and then it cuts to sweet home alabama one of the best transitions yeah it really is (laughs) you get that you get that guitar bass it's very (laughs) yeah yeah 
our uh, our five friends are you know are uh, swimming. They're swimming from swinging from ropes mm. into the into a pond and looking beautiful in bronze, having a gay old time. And then, very similar to the opening scene of the original, they get into a little van, almost the same van, and we get kind of introduced to our our five main characters. We get Kemper, who is driving the van, and his beautiful girlfriend glistening like a goddamn roast turkey in her baby oiled um body yeah. suckling. <laughs> suckling and it is miss <laughs> jessica beal who prior oh, to yes. this was only known for seventh heaven so it's what a smart acting very smart to, acting take, to say fuck that nonsense <laughs> yeah man um and what to acknowledge with these characters none of them have the same names as the characters from the originals and while they're all kind of like archetypes of the personalities from the original film to a certain extent like you know you've got like um pepper is clearly uh, the um Oh, God, is it... What is uh, the girl on the meat hook? I can't remember. Pam, 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 Pam. Pam. She's she's definitely the Pam of this, you know, and Aaron is clearly the Sally. Um, But they're their own characters. And I, I, first, I was really resistant to this, but honestly, upon watching it, I like that they do that because they're not trying to rip off those iconic characters and, like, do it... They're doing their own thing completely, even down to the names. Well, and they were super smart. Well, because... Okay, so then we get Andy, that's Mike Vogel, who is... Ba- making out passionately with Pepper in the back seat, and then we get kind of the the f- the fifth wheel, I guess he would be because he doesn't have a, a yeah. companion there, and it is Morgan played by uh, Jonathan Tucker, who I think they were trying to make him like the Franklin character. They were, but yeah. he is nowhere, nowhere near as annoying. And actually, as the film goes on, he is the smartest one of the bunch. He's the smartest. He's so endearing. And I'm so glad. And he gives the, I personally, well, I went next to Arlie Emery. I think he gives the best performance in the film. I agree. He has a, a monologue later in the film that just, it's pretty mind blowing. It's an amazing acting performance. I'm happy he went on to kind of have a, a, a career that um, expanded outside of this kind of role. You know, the supporting uh, kind of nerdy figure. He just does really well with it, though. I mean, yeah, he's hot. I think he's a hot little piece of butt. But uh, that being said, it's a, just a great cast across the board. There's so much personality in these characters uh, and in the actors that play them. I just, it, I really, I, I really enjoy this cast. I, I think they do a great job of creating a friendship. And even if you watch the bonus footage on the DVD, because I definitely had the flip out DVD that turned into a chainsaw. Um, uh, you can just tell this cast, like, really enjoyed each other, and that translates here. So this opening, like, brief bit of footage with all of them traveling and some very iconic recreated shots from the original film, you get to get a really good, a good feeling for this friendship, uh, and it's cut short, obviously, but you come in feeling like these aren't thin characters. They're very well-rounded characters. Yeah, you also find out that Pepper has only been part of the group for about 15 hours because they picked her up. As she was hitchhiking outside of El Paso, and she says, "What are the odds of you guys coming and picking and, and just coming across me, you know, and picking me up?" So there's kind of that little suggestion of fate, which ties back to the original opening um, voiceover about the fate that befell, you know, the, the five teens. Because yeah, if, if maybe if Pepper wasn't hitchhiking, if she was had to 
Maybe if she had to run in and use the bathroom and miss these people, she'd still be alive. God damn it. I really like how in this movie they will recreate certain moments, but they'll very they'll do it in their own way in the sense of it just it manages to capture the vibe of the original moment, but it's not it's its own thing. And I think this is a really good example because if you remember in the original film, Pam has her opening dialogue of um of about Mercury retrograde. And it's all that kind of like kind of trippy, hippy, dippy nonsense. And this character has this moment that's very much kind of hinting at that original dialogue, but it's still its own thing. This movie just does a great job of making it clear it knows what it's doing. So the group is on their way to Dallas for a Leonard Skinner concert. And as they are driving, they approach a woman, young lady, who is just walking stoically in the middle of the road. Uh, they, They stop. Yeah. Aaron and Pepper run out and ask her what's wrong. And this girl is, is totally freaked out. And she is saying that, that she wants to get away. I need to get away. They're all dead. So they take her and put her in the van. So this is kind of a, again, doing its own thing. Because in the original, remember, the hitchhiker they picked up was this crazy fucking guy that I would never have picked up. Just, mm-hmm. just by looking at him, I'd be like, fuck that. I'm keep, I'm going. So they switch it up to make it a little bit maybe more realistic because this is just a a young, innocent-looking blonde girl that looks harmless. And she's obviously in distress. I personally buy that a group of young teenagers would pick her up more than I do that they would pick up that fucking weirdo from the original. So already they're doing something a a little bit different, a little bit more realistic there. They get her in the they get her in the van though, and she is just a fucking basket case. A basket case. Yes, uh, she's played by um, Laura German. Mm, yep. Uh, who uh, other fans of the genre will recognize as the stellar standout female lead in Hostel 2, which will be discussed. Um, one of my favorite underrated sequels, I'm sorry, but I love her in that leading slightly lesbian role because uh, we don't get enough of them. But she, uh, I was just going to say, she gives a really great. Um, haunting performance in this brief moment that is honestly probably one of the strongest scenes in the movie. Her performance as this girl who they pick up, this hitchhiker who is obviously horribly traumatized by something, proceeds to mentally unravel in front of them over the brief course of a few minutes. It really is not a long scene. Pulls a gun from her bloodied vagina and proceeds to Blow her brains out in what is, I'm sorry, you can't defend any other thought on it. One of the best executed kill sequences I've ever seen in a horror movie ever. Ever. I'm sorry. The the pullback through her mouth as they're screaming to reveal that it is coming like out of her head is it will stick with me till my dying breath. It'll be the last thing I see. <laughs> Iconic. Oh yeah, you get to see the hole, the the hole in the back of her head, and the the camera like goes through the hole in the back of her head, and it comes out the the windshield because the bullet goes through the windshield and busts out the windshield. It's a pretty gross effect. It, it's actually really effective. You're right. It's it's very effective, very disturbing. Oh, yes. Yeah, and and it really like it sets a um a high bar for the rest of the movie because if you think of like the time that this came out, early two thousands, like. Really name a more violent movie that had come out at this point. Like, 
honestly, like this also does not get a lot of love for like the transition into the <laughs> kind of, I don't want to say, I mean, torture porn. It really was the first one that was like, it's okay to get this violent. Because after this, you had like the hostels and the saws. Well, yeah, you're, you are, you are exactly right. This is probably one of the more gorier movies to come out in that time period, even though it was still cut pretty heavily. Apparently they did a lot of heavy, they had to do a lot of heavy cuts to it to get the R rating. But, you know, if you think about what came out the five years prior to this, you were very right. It was very watered down, tame horror. I mean, think of Scream 3. Okay, that got so watered down in terms of the the death scenes that they're almost you don't really ever see anything. And it was because, you know, Columbine happened. So there was this whole pushback against violent movies. We can't have violent movies anymore. This came out and, and, and at least tried to to be like, okay, we're getting back to the 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 gore, the the disturbing death scenes that kind of fell into the 70s and 80s that made horror popular or appealing because yeah everything else before this and that five to six year period before this was very watered down yeah uh yeah so this to to start the film with this sort of violence uh was pretty shocking yeah there's a raw brutality to all of the kills in this movie and to be honest there are several standout phenomenal sequences of gore if if you're a gore hound if that's what you're looking for this movie i think delivers and delivers well and is pretty damn impressive um and, and so uh you have this sequence and it really just like i said it sets the tone for the rest of the film and and the the kids are flipping their shit out understandably so because of what they just saw yeah they get out of the van uh Pepper's freaking out. She's she because there's blood all over, blood and brains on her shoulder. So she has a she's freaking out, screaming, trying to get it off her. Morgan again, who who who's like the sense of reason throughout the film is like, why the fuck did we even have to pick this bitch up? Why why? And and everyone else is just like, you know, uh, Aaron's having her breakdown. Uh, Kemp's trying to keep everybody together, and they're like, well, what are we gonna do? We're we gonna we're we gonna call the police. Well, and one issue with that is one of the reasons that they're traveling cross country aside from going to this Leonard Skinner concert is uh Kemper is like traveling with a huge amount of, of weed 2 pounds yeah yeah that's hit that's hidden in a piñata yes yes and so that becomes a whole element of like oh my god what the fuck are we going to do yeah so they decide to well Kemper decides to throw the piñata into the field and they're going to go and call the police. Um, that's that's their solution for now, which sort of seems reasonable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're in the middle of nowhere. They don't know anyone. Yeah. No cell phones. No cell- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No cell phones. No, because this, this film takes place in, what, 71, did they say? I don't remember. I don't but, even remember. But what's really... But you know what's really interesting about the film is I think this film looks like... if you When you watch this film... It looks like it could take. It looks like it could be taking place now, today. It does. The fashion yeah. styles, even though they are they're like retro fashion styles, are actually fashionable now. Minus the the cell phone, no cell phones or anything like that. Everything looks pretty contemporary. Like I don't think this film looks aged at all. No, I agree. It's held up, and it's because partially because they kind of set it in this you know vintage era 
Um, I mean, it has a slightly 2000 look to it. I'll say that. Um, just like when you, I guess maybe by association with Jessica Beal, when I think of her face, I think of that era, you know, uh, her prime. But overall, yeah, God, it's just a visually stunning movie. And especially as we transition to some of these locations like the house and the surrounding area around the house, um, the, the cinematography just knocks it out of the park. Uh, lots of really beautiful lighting effects and everything. They, uh, fantastic. Beautiful. So yeah, so they, um, they go to, um, there's a, there's a, like a small diner that they come, come upon and they pull up there, um, and they speak with like the woman that owns it, whose name is Luda May. And, uh, she kind of gives them some instructions to meet with the local sheriff. And as they're having this conversation, Morgan is like looking through like the glass counter. Cause this is like a, a, like a diner and a deli. He's looking at these pig heads. There's meats all over. And the pig, I mean, they, they couldn't have made this look grungier. It's disgusting. Yeah, they are. Uh, there's flies all over them. They're like rotting in the. <laughs> they're literally like rotting in the in the. the yeah, the cooler, the cooler case. case. Yeah, they're supposed to meet the sheriff at the old Crawford Mill right away. I don't know. This would send some red flags to me uh, because when you call the police, they generally don't say, "Oh, you have to come to us." They come to you. They come to you. And she's like, well, I don't, he just wants you to meet him at the old Crawford Mill. He, otherwise, he said he's not going to be here for two hours. And of course, you know, Kemper flips out. He's like, what the, sh- what the hell? We're not driving around with a dead woman in our car for, you know, we need right. to get going. Smart. She's, yeah. It's a smart well, mentality. <laughs> well, yeah, that it doesn't last long, though. Because what do they do? They take the orders and they go to the fucking old Crawford Mill. They go to the old Crawford Mill, driving down these fucking roads full of potholes, and as they're hitting potholes, the body's flipping and flopping, brains are flying out of it. <laughs> there are a few really great comedic moments. Like, yeah. Just like their reactions with this body. Like, it's not really, I mean, it shouldn't be comedic, but like, they, they do a really good job of like selling it, that they are just absolutely disgusting. Because it's like, keep in mind, this is Texas. It's probably like 107 degrees. They are all, they do a really good job of making sure that everybody is sweaty in this movie. Like, everybody is heavily shellacked with baby oil. And um, there's always flies. Like, it is just gross. And it just adds to the discomfort of it, especially the seeds with this body just cooking in this backseat. I'd be, I'm sorry, I'd be weirded out at this point. I would not. But they go to the, they go to the mill. Yes. Yes. They look around and they don't see. No sheriff. The sheriff is not there. They don't see the sheriff. So Morgan is like, you know, this, let's go. We, we got a concert to get to and we got to get out of here. Let's go. Let's, and Aaron, of course, doesn't want to leave the body. So they have this little argument where they take a vote, which becomes pointless because enough people say just to leave the body, which I would. I mean, I know it's horrible, but you know what? It's not my problem. This girl killed herself. The sheriff's supposed to be at the mill. Take her body out, put it outside and get, get your ass going. They don't, even though, again, everyone says besides Aaron and what's her name, Pepper, that they want to leave the body. Uh, Kemp gives in because it's Aaron is his girlfriend. Yeah. He doesn't want to face her wrath. Yeah. And there's also a little moment at around the time here that's kind of clued in with 
uh, the fact with like they do a lot of these little side stories are like these are the same characters but with a little bit more and Kemper reveals he has a ring I just want to acknowledge he does it he reveals that he has a ring that obviously he'll be giving to Aaron because obviously they're madly in love um, so it, it just adds to like his charm which is smart because of the horrible things that are about to befall him. Their first mistake, obviously, was just not leaving this body here. So they they look around this old mill. There is a cliched rat scare where they hear something in the this like storage closet, and they open it up, and there's this rat. Or it's, is it a? It, it's, it's a, a possum. possum. It's a possum, it and it's like yeah. <laughs> like you know how they make that face, and I hope that sound depicts that face to our listeners because it's what it's doing and they react to that uh it's a I fun moment i knew, I, I knew it was job. awesome in my notes i wrote rat i don't i put rat scare <laughs> it's possum scare okay so um yeah and then they they hear something and they kind of keep going and they find the little boy from the ring uh, David fucking Dorfman. David Dorfman. With the best dentures I've ever seen in a movie, ever. Like, I mean, meaning dentures is like a fake grill, a teeth grill that he's wearing. The teeth that they put on this child are disgusting. And he's like licking them. And you know, they were like, lick them more. Like trying to construct this child to like really make a use of these horrible teeth. Oh, they look so fucking realistic. Um, but yeah, this child is very off-putting, as he should be, uh, for the purpose he serves. But he basically, like, spews some, like, just uncomfortable dialogue and, like, runs around. Yeah, he's he's an odd-looking kid. His name's Jedediah, too. Jedediah. Yes, Jedediah. Jedediah. Um, but he, in a, you know, there's an element of Jedediah that I um, obviously takes a liking to the kids because he's mischievous and he's ca- he kind of causes some problems for the family meaning his family over the course of the movie um and so his his purpose is almost like kind of um it almost makes me think of um um uh, the hills have eyes with ruby oh yeah you yeah, know, yeah like yeah. A, a character that's going against uh their family's evil mentality and i i like that about his character he's adorable um, uh, especially in his scenes with, uh, Jessica Biel. Um, but yeah, so he, he's, he's good. He tells them that the sheriff isn't coming because he's home getting drunk. Uh, so they're like, okay, where does he live? Uh, does he live close? And he's like, yeah, but you can't get there by car. So Aaron and Kemp decide to go and look for the sheriff's house. Again, at this point I would have just left, but you wouldn't have the movie if they left, right? Yeah. Especially with a body. Like, with a body, how would you... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I can't, can't you just leave it by the side of the road? You leave it at that deli? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, that would have been better than what ends up happening to them, right? It, it would have. You're right. <laughs> oh, and before there, there's a scene where little Jedediah is, like, in the van poking the body with a stick. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's disgusting. I love it. It's so funny. <laughs> And uh, Andy's like, get out of there, you little mutant. (laughs) (laughs) I love a lot of the little banter in this film. There's little moments like that all sprinkled throughout uh, until it gets really dark. (laughs) Yeah, as they're so Kemper and Aaron, as they're they they come across this house, this large, imposing, creepy. I don't even know what to say about this house. Beautiful, though. It's a beautiful house. It's just like literally in the middle of nowhere. It's this large, imposing structure. 
perfectly like a square structure with all these windows in the front of it and like these pillars in front. And they go knock on the door and this legless old man in a wheelchair answers. Fucking Monty, who is just... Every character you're introduced to, like in the sense of like the bad guys, every time you meet a character, they're more like repulsive than the last. Um, and this guy just... He doesn't hold back. This gentleman is offensive, and he's making comments. He's hitting on Jessica Beale. Uh, he eventually, at one point, f- pretends to make his wheelchair topple over so he can grab her ass. Like, he's just gross. And, uh, again, a great performance. I mean, this character, this whole family is honestly phenomenal. There's so many little characters sprinkled throughout who leave a lot of impact, a lasting impact, and he is one of them. Well, he lets her go in the house to make a phone call to the sheriff, He, but he makes Kemper stay outside. And then he is, uh, in the meantime, when at the same time Aaron is on the phone with the police in this big house, the sheriff actually shows up to the van with Pepper, Mike, and Morgan. He pulls up, gets out of the car, and he just puts his hat on, very like southern type of stroll up to the window to the van. And he looks at the van. And he's like, he sees the blood all over the back windshield. And he's like, my guess is your dead body's in there, right? That's like his first line in the film. And then it cuts back to the house. Yeah, and like wheelchair guy, like you said, tips his wheelchair over in the bathroom and is like, come help me. And when she does, he's like grabbing her between her legs and her ass. Yeah, it's like, it's so cringy. And they uh, even like have him like, he's on like a, like a catheter bag, <laughs> um, which, you know, because uh, makes sense because he has no legs. Um, so, uh, and he's like h- handling it, like trying to handle it while she's like picking him up. And it's just so, ugh, creepy, gross, uncomfortable. All all the words, all the, w- the words to describe that. Um, but uh, while this is going on, Kemper goes into the house. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kemper's the boyfriend. And he goes into the house and um, uh, he's kind of having this like whole sequence walking through the interior of the home. And he's seeing that there's like all kinds of very like uncomfortable, strange artifacts, very in lieu of the original film. Um, And it leads up to the sequence where he sees a TV playing with some like old 1930s animation on it. And he knocks something over and he goes to pick it up and he looks up and we have what is effectively the first kill of the movie and very similar to uh, the sim- a similar sequence in the original film. Leatherface appears behind him and with a meat cleaver beats him upside the skull and he drops and he drags his body through the house and slams the metal door shut. Very similar to the original film. Very well executed scene. Yeah, it's it's really shocking. It's it's actually like this giant hammer bashes him in the head with like this huge mallet, and yeah, drags. He starts convulsing and shaking just like the guy in the original did. And yeah, pulls him in and slams the door shut. And it's kind of shocking because you don't expect that to happen because in the original it wasn't. It was Pam's boyfriend that got killed first. So to kill mm-hmm. off, you yeah. know. Kemper, who we thought was probably going to be one of the last to survive, was kind of a, a cool choice, unexpected choice. Yeah, a, a, a good amount of the film had laid some heavy focus on his character and that development up to this point. 
Um, so to kill him off was pretty startling. And this whole sequence is meant to be startling. It just, from the sound of um, the, the score, the effects, it, it all hits really hard. And it, it, it's a really well-executed sequence. And and so basically what's happening in, in this situation is that Aaron and Kemper being separated, she comes to the conclusion that he has gone back to mm-hmm. the car. Um, this confusion occurring from, you know, them being separated in this massive house. And so um, through a series of uncomfortable events, she eventually leaves, uh, leaving Monty behind uh, to watch her amazing ass as she <laughs> struts away. They even at one point managed to recreate that great uh, follow shot, very similar to Pam's walking up to the house. Um, in this field in front of this house, they do recreate that shot at one point. And it, again, another delicate touch that just makes it feel like the original movie. In the meantime, the sheriff has found the gun in the van. He takes the gun. He looks in the van, takes the gun and, and puts it in his boot. Right. And then he wants help to, to get the girl's body out of the van. So he has this like roll of saran wrap, Right. This roll of saran wrap that he starts wrapping around her head. And he wants Mike to, or Andy, Mike Vogel, Andy is a character, to help him wrap oh this God. girl yeah. in saran wrap. And Andy is like freaking out. And it's really gross because he's, they lift her head up and like her whole head, back of her head is gone and just brains are hanging out. And the sheriff is just gleefully wrapping it with fucking saran wrap. Oh, he's like spitting one-liners left and right, um, making like sexual kind of commentary about her and everything. And he, he he's really pushing it. You, I, it's very clear. It becomes very apparent at a certain point that the sheriff is pushing, really pushing the limits with these kids to make them as uncomfortable as possible. He's doing it intentionally, uh, which all starts to make sense as everything unfolds. But like every sequence with, with him... Uh, once he really starts to kind of like let loose with this character is just phenomenal. His, his portrayal of this in this role is, uh, is just disgusting and repulsive and evil. Just what an evil character. And he plays it with such glee, though, and it just makes my skin crawl. One of the best performances uh, I can think of in recent memory or beyond yeah and the example of this is after after we flash back to air or cut back to Aaron walking through the woods coming back to the van it cuts back to now the body is like totally wrapped in in saran wrap totally it looks like it looks like you know it's it's ready to yeah it's a mummy (laughs) it's a mummy and he pepper says this just doesn't feel right and in the meantime the two guys are taking the body and putting it in the back of the police car and the sheriff snaps at Pepper. He's like, don't you sass me. I got respect for the dead. And then immediately when he sees Mike and Morgan putting the body in the back of the the his police car, he's like, would you two bastards get that nasty thing out of my goddamn car and put it in the trunk? <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, my God. It, it, hilarious and offensive at the same time. He does it so well. Um, and that is consistent throughout this entire film, but this character manages to take an even darker turn as it goes on. He's he, There's never a moment at any point in this movie that he seems redeeming, that he seems like he is going to be of any assistance to these kids. From the moment he hits the camera, he's just pure evil, and, and it's great. So he gets the they get the body into the car, and he basically turns to them and he says, uh, Pepper makes a comment uh, like... 
uh, thanks for everything you've done, like very sarcastic. And he turns to them and he's like, it's what we do. <laughs> like, like he like salutes to her. Like he makes this really like coy comment and uh, gets in the car and like drives away with the body. And he's like, that's what we do. Protect and serve. And does that little salute. Aaron gets back and they actually, they tell her the sheriff has already come. He's got the body, but Kemp's not there. She's like, I thought he came back. And they're like, no, we haven't seen him. And all of a sudden we hear this van horn start blaring in the distance. So they all go find the the origin of this blaring horn. And it is a van that's like in this junkyard of, of, of cars that somebody had wedged a stick into so that the horn continuously blares. So they they're they're looking around all these like old cars that are in this like we think it's a junkyard. What it ends up being, we we kind of know it's basically all the cars of the people this family has murdered put into a into a the, this backfield. So as Morgan's looking at one, he plays this joke where he like sticks his arm in the trunk of the car and then yanks himself in like he's being pulled in and he's like screaming and they're all freaking out and it's just him playing a joke, which kind of seems out of character for this particular character. Because this character has been pretty uptight the whole movie. But now maybe he's loosening up a bit. But he actually finds a jar that he pulls out. And this jar is full of liquid. And in, inside the jar is a picture. And it's of the girl mm-hmm. that they picked mm-hmm. up. The hitchhiker. In like piss. Like I'm pretty sure it's piss. <laughs> Which again, yeah. a red flag. Get the hell out of there at this point. I mean, how many creepy things do you need to see before you're like, okay. Let's but now go. Kemper's effectively missing so they have no option but to stay unless they're going to betray their friend which i really don't see them being the type of the gang that would do that um no but i gotta say the again with location design and what have you we've seen a few movies now that have given the whole abandoned vehicles in a large setting scenario uh we've seen it in the wrong turns we've seen it in the hills have eyes and I have to say that this this whole sequence as they go through like all of the uh, abandoned vehicles or all of the you know the the vehicles of people that have been killed it's one of the, the best executed uh, build up moments it's really good it's just really well designed this whole location is so effective this film it has such a great bleak uh, bleached like color palette and it really works in these outdoor sequences especially it feels very Texas you know. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the yeah, they filmed this right side of right outside of Austin, so it's definitely Texas. So Andy and Aaron this time they go back to the house to look for Kemper, and in the meantime, as they're headed back, we get a scene of Kemper being hung up hung upside down in a bathtub in the basement of this house by Leatherface, and as they as he's hanging him, the ring falls out of his pocket. And Leatherface picks it up and opens it up and we see it's an engagement ring. So he was going to ask Aaron to marry him. The old man. He's so pretty. The old man is. We lost a good one. The old man is sitting on his porch when they get there. Aaron decides she's going to go distract him. Andy's going to go in the house to search for Kemper. Um, As he goes into the house, Aaron's talking to the guy about, oh, have you seen my friend? And try to entertain him andy is searching this house and he goes into the kitchen and there are like all these strips of flesh just hanging in the kitchen just everywhere oh it's so nasty and it's very similar to the sequence of pam walking through the house 
in the original film with like the chickens. There's all these little nods to the original movie in this sequence. I love it. There's like pigs that are like running around the living room. He opens the refrigerator. And as we imagine, it's pretty disgusting. And as he closes it, something falls on from the top of the refrigerator, falls and crashes. The old man hears this. Aaron runs in. The old man comes in and yells at them to get out of his house. And he starts pounding on his floor with his cane. Oh, it's so effective. Come on, boy. (laughs) Come on, boy. Yeah, bring it. Bring it. Just pounding. And you think he's like talking to them, but what he's actually doing is summoning Leatherface. And. Oh, my God. I love this moment. Yeah. We get the scene where the, the, the sliding door swings open and the chainsaw's buzzing. And we get to see Leatherface in full chainsaw oh mode yeah yeah it's pretty effective it's it's very startling very scary there's a great shot in this that was in the trailer of the two of mike vogel and jessica beale turning and screaming as they see the reveal and it's like one of the most visceral reactions jessica beale's response in this is is so um just raw and um this whole sequence plays out i think beautifully it is terrifying and it it really gets the heart rate going because the moment that you see him and he revs that chainsaw it's on you know it is on and they take off running and um Madi uses his cane to trip um jessica beale or no no he trips mike vogel correct uh yes yeah he trips mike vogel i'm sorry Jessica Biel takes off through the door. Mike Vogel trips, but he gets up and takes off behind her and goes running through a, like a, a whole series of sheets that are hung up on clotheslines. And he's running through these sheets, and it's just this stunning and beautiful uh, game of cat and mouse. It's so well shot. And then you see the saw go through the fucking leg. The blood hits the sheet and he drops. His leg goes flying through the air. Oh my God. It is a horror fan's wet dream. Yeah. He fucking saws his Andy's leg off and proceeds to pick him up and carry him into the house down in the basement. Uh, And there's a really disturbing scene of the, of when he's, carrying Andy over his shoulder down in the basement. Andy's scratching at the concrete walls and like his fingernails are bust or like ripping off. It's pretty gross. Oh my God. And so, and they're even referenced in like the old footage. Like you see, it goes back to the fingernail and everything. Oh, it's so good. But uh, just in the sense of like the whole amputation of the leg too, like the shots that you see of Mike Vogel without his leg are all just really disgusting and uh just so well done and um you know it's intercut throughout the whole course of everything else occurring that you see him basically being hung up on a meat hook very similar to pam and he even leatherface even like takes a handful of salt and salts the wound and wraps paper with string he's treating him like a piece of meat it is just visceral it's so effective yeah yeah so probably again we've had this discussion before but probably the most brutal death well leatherface doesn't actually kill him but you know i mean this is pretty horrific what happens to him i mean it's pretty 
it would be pretty agonizing, you know, to hang on a meat hook and with your leg sawed off with salt on it. It's a pretty brutal death for a character that probably out of the five had the least amount of development, which, you know, you could take that as a good thing or a bad thing. Do you, do you want the horrific thing to happen to the character you really care about or do you want it to happen to the one that really didn't have much to do in the film, you know? At the same time, Aaron gets back to the van, freaking out. Pepper and um, Morgan are asking her, what's what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's like, we got to go. We got to go. At the same time, the van won't start. The sheriff shows back up. Aaron's like, they're all relieved. They're like, oh, thank God. And Aaron's like, please help me. Please help me. And he's he's he's, he's standing in her in the window of the van. He spots a joint in the ashtray. And this sets him off. He loses his shit over a joint. He makes them get out of the car, get on the ground, face down, um, and oh, he loses his yeah, shit over it. He just starts terrorizing. They're literally oh, and fa- great acting across the board. Yeah, faces are in the dirt. Um, Aaron's screaming at him, screaming, "Why don't you fucking help me? Why don't you help me?" And he literally takes his gun and shoots it three times. Over her head at them. I mean, this is it went on. It went from like zero to three sixty pretty damn fast. Yeah. Well, he finds his in with making sure that he's got them. uh, uh, Yeah. You know, under his thumb with that joint, and he just doesn't hold back, and it is just um, really, really awful and violent. And he's got the, you know, he's got it to the point where they're all spitting up in the dirt, crying like you see their snot streaming in the dirt. Uh, and Jessica uh, Beale, you can tell, is literally selling it, her performance so much that her voice is hoarse throughout this whole sequence. She delivers several bits of dialogue that her voice is breaking, so it's so hoarse. Uh, it just it just adds to the overall performance by all four of the individuals in this scene. Phenomenal. Yeah, she's like, "Why aren't you? Why aren't you helping us?" And yeah, she's just guttural, guttural screams and pleads, and he's just ignoring her. And then this is the moment that is perhaps one of the best acting in the film is when the sheriff makes Morgan get up to go back in the van to recreate the shooting. He wants to see how the shooting took place. So he makes Morgan get up and get in the back of the van and Morgan's in the van, back of the van. And he's like, now, is this where she was sitting? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I don't think so. It doesn't match up with the windshield. And he and Morgan's like, well, maybe he, she was more in the center. And he's like, well, then get more in the center. Yeah, and like sitting in the brains and guts and everything. But her brains and everything are right there. And he's like, do it. So he scoots over and he makes, basically what he does is he gives Morgan the gun and tells him to recreate her shooting himself, shooting herself. So at first he puts it at his chin. And this is a really great performance by Jonathan Tucker. I mean, his his lips are quivering. I mean, it's really a dripping spit. Yes. So he puts the gun at his chin and, and he's like, I don't think she shot herself in the chin. And he's like, no, she shot herself in the mouth. And he's like, then put that fucking gun in your mouth. And he's like, no. And the sheriff literally takes the gun and makes, makes him put it in his mouth. And he pushes, he literally pushes Morgan to the point where Morgan turns the gun on him. And it's one of those things It's because this he's so obviously abusing his power over him. Um, and so Morgan turns the gun on him and he goes, fuck you, motherfucker. And he f- fires the gun only he finds that there's no bullets in it. So the the sheriff goes, 
Are you, tr- are you trying to murder a police officer? Uh, they like He flips his shit on him, and then he starts beating the shit out of Morgan. The girls are screaming. He forces Morgan in the cop car. He's screaming at everybody, just obscenities. It's so awful. <laughs> it's a really effective scene when he's pointing the gun at the sheriff because you don't know if he's going to pull the trigger or not. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a several m- m- seconds of him pointing the gun and the sheriff's like, shoot me, yeah. shoot me. And you don't know if he's going to do it. And outside you have pepper screaming, shoot him, shoot him. And, and Aaron's like, don't shoot him. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And he pulls the trigger and it's empty. And the sheriff's like, you fucking murderer. And from that point on, poor Morgan is uh, beaten and abused. And yeah, yeah. he's just manhandled by this guy all for the rest of the movie. (laughs) Well, then, yeah. And then it, then it cuts to Mike is still alive. He's been hung on a meat hook and he's trying to yank himself off the meat hook, but he keeps falling back down on it. It's so just, you can feel everything the way they film it. Like you just, you feel it. It's so um, brutal. And he's on top, like, He's atop a piano. Like, it's. it sounds weird, but he's atop a piano and it's raining on him. For whatever reason, the pipes are leaking, you know. He's in this basement. He's on top of a piano, but just enough so that his toes are touching the keys. So you hear, like, the ding, 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 like. But then when he, like, stumbles, you hear the pound on the keys so you know it went deeper into him. Ugh. It is just, it is brutal. It's brutal. And, and meanwhile... The girls are still back at the vehicle. At this point, Pepper is useless. She's fucking useless. And Morgan's now in the car with the sheriff. The sheriff's driving him somewhere. Morgan is like, well, the sheriff asks them where they were going. And he's like, we were going to a, a, a Skinnerd concert. And the sheriff's like, ooh, I like Skinnerd. See, boy, we have something in common. Isn't that a hoot? And the sheriff's like, well, what are you going to do with your Skinnerd concert now? And Morgan's like, very sarcastically, you can have it. And the sheriff just out of nowhere reaches and just bashes him in the side of the face with this glass. Oh my God. It's like a bottle of whiskey he's drinking. Out. Yeah. And it's his teeth. His mouth just starts gushing blood. His teeth fall out. Oh. And he's like, <laughs> he says like, uh, are you trying to uh, Bri- bribe me? Bribe me? That's against the law. <laughs> like he's... Oh my god, this cop is, the sheriff is such a piece of shit. He's a piece of shit, and he just treats these kids so horribly. I love it. Yeah. Um, but no, so now is the part where it's back at the vehicle, and Pepper is no longer capable of making rational decisions. She is obviously terrified, but she is completely fucking useless. And she's wearing, I just want to acknowledge, a down coat. In the middle of of what I'm presuming is summer in Texas. Yes. I mean, does it get cold? You live in Texas. Does it cold? No, it does not get cold. Not enough for a down coat. And where did the, where did she get it? I mean, I can't say it was in the back of the truck because the back of the truck is filled with brains. So, but whatever. It was made, it, I think it was done for an aesthetic choice that's coming up here in a bit. Yes. But to me, I, it's mm. strange. I mean, she's also in that, that like halter top that's very reminiscent of Pam's halter top, 
from the original film, though it's not utilized in the same way, uh, having that bare back exposed and the meat hook, you know. Um, but she's in that top that's very reminiscent, and it does not leave much room to the imagination. So maybe she maybe she was cold in the sweltering, sweltering Texas heat. But so, yeah, so she's uh, trying to assist uh, Aaron with restarting the vehicle, with, with getting the, 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 um, the van going. And she's like holding a flashlight and shaking and trembling. And, and Aaron's just like, Jesus Christ, would you just hold it tight? <laughs> she's like, would you just hold it it's still? And, and these two girls are really trying to make things work. And Aaron, I have to say, is a pretty capable, at this point, she's a capable female lead. Like she's, she's tough. She's a tough character. Um, and, and, and she's really trying to grab the bull by the horns with this, with this one. And it's just not happening. Yeah. She, she knows how to jump vans. She says she's, she's, she learned how to do it and, or she knows how to jump cars. The sheriff in the meantime has stopped in front of the house and he makes Morgan get out of the the cop car and just beat, beats the fuck out of him throws him in a puddle and then drags him into the house. Cut to the van finally fucking starts. 20 minutes later, it start, and they start to drive it away, and all of the wheels fall off. Oh, I love it. You, you were with these girls through this whole sequence <laughs> of them trying to get this vehicle started, and then... Did somebody come in? It's such a... <laughs> yes. Because remember, they all oh, left okay, the vehicle yeah. at I'm, one point, so obviously that's what happened, and it just... It is... Like, they, they finally get it going, and the whole thing just fucking falls apart, and as soon <laughs> as that fucking happens... <laughs> A chainsaw comes through the the glass of the vehicle, like it just busts through the the windshield and just starts sawing around. And they're screaming, and they're climbing into the corner of the vehicle, holding each other. And the saw is drilling through the roof, sawing through the metal. There's sparks everywhere. It is such overkill it's amazing it's gold it's gold it's it's just it's i love scenes like this where there's like the killers trying to get into you know the chainsaw comes through the roof of the van it's like inches from their face uh it actually at one point touches pepper the back of pepper's um coat yeah leatherface grabs gets a hold of aaron's hair and grabs her and at this at this time pepper takes the opportunity to get out and run and as she's running leatherface basically chases her down and she throws a garbage can at him, but he's able to saw her in the back with the chainsaw. She falls on the ground and he apparently saws her stomach open. We don't see anything happen. What we see it from Aaron's perspective, we see her watching him as he's chainsawing and all of the down feathers are flying in the air. I mean, I don't know. I don't care what the season is. I think it's such an, it's cool. It's cool. I feel like it was kind of a rushed death for her. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is more about what happens next. I mean, like, her death is 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 pretty quick, and it's brutal. I mean, I think it's just to show, like, the whole uh, brutality of just jumping into this vehicle, sawing through it, and sawing through one of these kids. Like, absolutely treating them like yeah. a piece of meat. Um, but then as he turns around and it reveals that he is actually wearing Kemper's face with an amazing effect that looks... So good. Uh, it is. It makes for an absolutely bone chilling moment, uh, and it even like slows down a little bit as he looks at Aaron and she realizes it. And oh, uh, like I think that whole death sequence is just meant to build up to what you have as that grand reveal for Leatherface, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's pretty grisly. And of course, at that point, Aaron takes off. <laughs> 
Yeah, she takes off and she runs and finds a small trailer home. She she knocks and this woman answers. The woman that looks mysteriously like a grown version of the little tooth of little boy that they Jedediah. I'm assuming it's his mother because they look identical. Like it looks like it could be this David Dorfman as a teenager. <laughs> they both have large heads <laughs> and sunken eyes. Yeah, large <laughs> Frizzy, frizzy yes. hair. And then, just... like, they both look very malnourished, which, I mean, like, it just plays into the environment and everything very well. Um, but uh, this whole run leading up to the whole um, sequence here uh, is, is also shot very well. I just want to say the lighting at night in the woods and these running sequences that recreate the original vibe of the original Texas Chainsaw with Sally running through the woods, they do a really good job when they do have some of these chase sequences, which is what Texas Chainsaw is known for. Um, uh, beautiful footage, I think. I think it's really effective. They don't have a phone, but there is also this morbidly obese woman that's in the living the living room oh, of this trailer God. who's just a treat. What a gift. I love her. She is v- very, very pleasant, very jovial, giggling, jiggling, um, welcoming, warm, all the things you wouldn't expect in this situation, which makes for it to be all the more foreboding. Yeah, they don't have a phone and she keeps looking at the door and there is a little bit of dialogue here that sort of gives you a backstory about, I'm assuming, leather Leatherface because the, the one lady's like, why are you looking at the door? Nobody's going to come in and, and Aaron's like, he's going to kill us. He's going to kill us all. And, and the girl, the weird looking short haired lady's like, oh, he knows better than to come in here and mess with us. He's a sweet little boy. He's a sweet little boy. Yeah, he had a, he had some disease when he was a kid, but he's he's harmless. <laughs> and in the meantime, she's trying to force Aaron to drink this tea. And Aaron like is like, I don't want any more tea and knocks it out of her hand. And the lady gets up and like storms out because the baby starts. There's a baby in the back room that starts crying. And the old the obese lady is like, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh no 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 no! Like with her face jiggling, I love it. Um, th- yeah, that Henrietta is very. Uh, it's very clear that she's got something going on with this team. This whole teacup, because she's like, here, have some tea, some nice warm tea, make you feel better. Like, and she's really pushing this tea on uh, on, on Jessica Beale, and Jessica Beale is again selling it with the panic, the sweat dripping it's just uh, nobody's really taking the whole thing seriously and you kind of know right away that shit's about to hit um and so um when she hears the baby jessica beale gets up and she starts she wanders into the room she's had some of the tea and uh she finds henrietta holding a baby and she recognizes the baby from the photo earlier in the movie where they found the jar and she goes, that's not your baby. And then Henrietta turns around and she goes, he's mine. <laughs> and um, honestly, she's just as terrifying as the rest of the villains in the movie. <laughs> she is. And Jessica Beals, you stole her! Screams at her. But, there, but also what's really kind of you know, a telling sign in the scene is that Henrietta is now on the phone talking to somebody when she just got done telling Aaron they, they didn't have a phone. But in the meantime, after that, Aaron collapses. Yeah. She's been drugged. 
She wakes up with the sheriff. Now she's back. She's at the big house. She wakes up with the sheriff dumping alcohol on her. His wife is iron in there in the living room. And it happens to be the lady that runs the damn deli and gas station they stopped at. And she's like, I'm, why are you bringing her here? And there's a conversation now that we find out Leatherface is actually named Thomas. Thomas Hewitt. And it's their son. It's the sheriff's son and the lady that ran the runs the deli with the dead pigs. It's their son. And so she calls to him. She's like, Thomas Brown, Hewitt, get your ass in here. And, and Leatherface comes sulking in and grabs Aaron and literally throws her, throws her. We're not talking, throws her down the basement stairs. This whole aspect of it is borderline touching on Rob Zombie. Halloweening it, which is a little too much unnecessary exposition, especially in difference from the original films Um, and the the structure of that family, you know? Well, I wonder why, you know, I mean, it's done, it's done, it's 2003, it's not, you know, but I wonder why they decided to go that route with it and bring in all of these different family members to this particular remake. Again, we talked about how that was sort of a good thing at the beginning of of this podcast where I talked about reimagining the right way, which I still think this film does, but there are uh, aspects of it that are a little uh, over the top and unnecessary. And I do think the fact that you have, you've been exposed to all these family members uh, is a little unnecessary. That's the right word. And I wonder if they're, they're, you know, they're doing it to show God, look at this whole town is, is run by these crazy. And that, there's not even any hint of them being cannibals in this one, which was the big thing in the first one. They were cannibals. They were using this. They were using people for their chili. That's not even mentioned in here. So it's just like a family that has a homicidal son that that they try to protect. Right, and that is the one area that it does stray a bit. Um, not. F- for the better, I would say. Um, I just found the original. The original film just felt very, um, very much like a group of people who had found each other because of their being unstable, and that their their family wasn't necessarily a biological family. To me, me, I mean, whether it was or not, it was also more based on the fact that they were all just unstable individuals. You know, this is. I mean, these are characters are unstable to a certain extent, but they're more just. Um, in their minds, like breaking the law or going against the law and letting their son do what he, you know, kill because it's his nature to kill and they just cover it up. And yeah, we've seen it before, you know. And then then the mother says that he basically his that Thomas was bullied as a kid because of the way he looked. And that nobody ever gives a shit about her son. And so basically now we're getting the fact that Leatherface's motive for being this brutal chainsaw wielding killer is that he was bullied as a kid. I mean, eh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with it, I guess. Yeah. But it's not the most. I, I really liked the original kind of where we really know yeah. the motive yeah. of what was driving him to do it. Yeah. But luckily, they glide through this pretty quick. Like, they do. It, they not- do because. She's, yeah, she's thrown in the basement. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's just this little part of it where you get a lot of backstory about Leatherface and what his motivation is. Yeah, yeah. After Jessica Beale is thrown in the basement, she actually finds Mike hanging and his toes, she hears the piano because his toes are still hitting the piano. She tries to get him down and is just making it worse. Every time she lifts him up, she drops him back down and he is in so much pain. And just now he's just like, I just kill me. Just kill me. Get the knife. There's a knife over there. 
please go get it and just end it. Yeah, at this point in the film, Jessica Beale really um, sells it for me with Aaron being a character who tries. Um, be it with, you know, trying to help her friends or trying to solve the issue. Um, or just she, she goes above and beyond in multiple situations here uh, to pro- to provide a really strong and uh, defiant female lead. With this whole sequence where she ends up, she ends up going through with stabbing him in the chest and killing her friend because he is in absolute agony. And and she has a breakdown where the blood is running down on her over the piano and everything. And it's just this really stunning sequence. And it's very sad. Um, For a horror movie, it's very sad. Like normally you don't have these moments of so much tenderness. A lot of times it's the brutality of it all, but it's very... Um, you feel for her and she sells it. She sells it. She sells it. I can't say enough about how strong she is in this film. Um, and her journey through this basement also brings her, um, upon Morgan. Morgan, who is in a bathtub, like leaned over as she gets to them. He jumps up. It's kind of a good effective jump scare and he's alive. Jedediah comes up and at, at the same time, we hear the chainsaw star. So Jedediah comes up and leads them out of this basement as, as Leatherface is chasing them. Uh, he chases them out of the cellar, and actually, Leather or Jedediah actually is the one that points them to the way out. And Leatherface like knocks him, knocks like smacks him. I thought he was going to kill him. I think in the original script, Leatherface kills him, but he does not in the in this version. They run to this abandoned house, which is I don't know where it is in in relation to the to this other house, but it's apparently pretty close. Yeah, and Morgan is very. I mean, he is beaten. To the point that she's having to drag. Yeah, him. his hands are hand. He's handcuffed. He is yeah, beaten, bloodied, bruised, just in bad shape. So she's dragging him along. They get into this abandoned house, and Leatherface is there. He knows that he they he sees them go in. So they put a uh, couch in front of the door, and he starts sawing it. So she puts Morgan in a closet, and then she hides in a different closet as Leatherface is kind of stalking, trying to find them. And there is this kind of scene that kind of reminiscent of Friday the 13th part two, where she's trying to be quiet and hide and these rats start crawling all over her. It's a very suspenseful moment in the movie because they're both hiding and he's just pounding through the house. He's pounding through the house and then it gets, he gets quiet or gets quiet and she stands up because she's kind of kneeling down and she stands up and kind of backs against the wall. And it's very quiet. And all of a sudden, his Leatherface's hands just bust through the wall and grab her. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's so well. I mean, I've seen it. I've I've seen it done in other movies. I think it's because you have two character perspectives, um, and you're not really aside from the killer. You have two characters who are hiding, and he's you know just stomping through this this house, uh, busting around and grunting and and. Um, uh, they're both trying to hide, but you don't really get the perspective because you're seeing it kind of from where they are. So you, at times you don't know where he is. So not only are you scared that, you know, mm-hmm. Aaron might be discovered and revealed, but also Morgan might be discovered and revealed. Yeah. Cause they're in two different. Yeah. Yep. It, it's really well done. It is. Leatherface grabs her through the wall, throws her on the floor and is literally ready to saw her like start and is coming down. And Morgan jumps out of the closet to save her. Uh, which yes. he does, but it comes at a huge consequence <laughs> because Leatherface lifts him up and because his, his hands are cuffed, 
hangs him on the chandelier by his hands. So he's he's hanging and he can't get his hands loose. And then proceeds to chainsaw up between his legs. <sighs> this movie does not skimp on the kills, you all. It is just so raw. And the, the sound of the chainsaw, they really, they really just hit it out of the park. I think I remember hearing that they used like bear, like actual like bear growling audio to um, in the mix of the final chainsaw effect, which gives it this really like, it has this like gnarly, just uh, monstrous, just roar when he revs it. And this whole sequence is just, it's tragic. It's so sad because his character was by far the most like, the, the most personality overall, you know? As, I liked yeah, him. Yeah. And he was, he was the one that throughout the whole film was the one that was like, we need to get the fuck out of yeah. here. Why are we still here? Let's go. Um, but I like because of that, that he's the one that did at least make it as long as he did with her. Um, because you, in a normal structure, you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be the, the last one to go from the leads. You no, know? but God damn, for what he's put through, I yeah. would have just rather been di- killed right away. Yeah, <laughs> true. But Aaron... He's so Aaron runs out of the house. Leatherface is chasing her. He trips on a barbed wire fence and cuts his leg with the chainsaw. Yeah, he's like, like screaming, rolling around on the floor. I'm like, he's such a for being a, a big ass with a chainsaw who's so willing to inflict pain on other people. When it comes to his being injured, he's a fucking pussy. He's a god. <laughs> he is a pussy. Yeah, yeah. He's a, that's a, like the big chainsaw is his like it's his baby dick. Um, yeah, escape, uh, uh, like you know, people have like baby dick mobiles. Like when people have like a big truck, it's a it's a baby dick truck. The chainsaw is his baby dick weapon. Uh, it's very phallic. <laughs> so Aaron runs out into the road. There's a car that doesn't stop for her, and she runs into the woods and comes across this slaughterhouse and goes in. Leatherface chases after her. She's able, she's like, he's like grabbing her. She's trying to pull down the, um, the door, the, like the garage type door thing. And he's grabbing at her. She gets in, she gets away from him and she runs and hides in this freezer with all these carcasses. God. And I think it was real meat. I'm pretty sure this was real yeah, meat. Yeah, it was disgusting. And you can just feel how cold it is. She's shivering. She gets into like, she gets inside of one of these like cow carcasses and is just shivering. And all she's wearing throughout this whole movie is this white little, you know, white tank top and these tight jeans with this cowboy hat that obviously she's lost at this point. But she is just shivering away in this carcass and Leatherface is stalking around. You don't know where he where he's at in a relation to her. And then all of a sudden he grabs one of the carcasses and just starts throwing them like on the pulleys that they're on. And she gets knocked out of the carcass. She's knocked on the floor. He's coming after her. It's just, I this whole sequence is pretty gnarly. She's got a fight. Like she's, it's not one of those things where she just hides, 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 and then raises an ax and brings it down on someone's head and it's done. Like this girl is having to hide and fight for a big chunk of the movie. Like she earns final girl status in this film and um I, and also i i know that's real meat that they use and i'm pretty damn positive that she's a vegetarian so like also like going outside of her comfort zone like which probably made it for an even better performance from her but like this whole finale is really a well executed sequence it's in the perfect location i mean what better 
location than a damn meat house. Especially when thinking of the original movie when they're driving by the cow farms and everything. It ties into the original material. It's so well executed. She's hiding in the locker. You know, you have all those sequences that you want from it. It's just very, very a well-handled game of cat and mouse. Well, and what this film did with the, this character that the original did in the original, Marilyn Burns is, is amazing in the original film. I mean, she gives a guttural, visceral performance. Everything that she does is very real. Sally in that film is not a fighter at all. She's a flighter. <laughs> she, yeah, she she's kind of I mean, she she's at the point where she's having a mental breakdown and. Whereas this character is much more of the fighter final girl that we are kind of used to. And I'm not saying I don't like the Sally Hardesty character in the first one. I very much do. You feel for her. But there's not really fight in her as much as there is in this character. So they really took the whole, I think, the final girl trope that the 80s made. Or the, Halloween and then into the 80s, all the final girl tropes that were these like innocent little girls. But they when the killer confronted them, they, 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 they were going to kick the killer's ass. They use that with with her, and I think it's pretty effective. She doesn't really get a scene like Sally did, where they're you know beating her in the head with the hammer. They left that whole thing out. Uh, they don't really give her a moment like that, but they do. I can think put the character through some more, a little bit different trauma, like having to kill Mike, having to you know. There are some effective scenes where she is, you know, put through the ringer. Seeing her boyfriend's face on another man's head. <laughs> um, yeah, and I really think they like almost they gave her like a Patricia Tallman versus Judith O'Day Barbara twist from the Savini remake of Night of the Living Dead, where they took Barbara and they made her into kind of almost the Rambo. Um, they did that to a lesser degree with this. Like Sally was a survivor, but yeah, you're right. She was a runner. She, wasn't she never so stopped to fight. This this girl, right, she grabs girl. a meat cleaver after she gets knocked down in this freezer and she runs and hides uh, yes. in a locker. And there's a whole row of lockers on both sides of this wall, this hallway. And Leatherface is kind of coming and he looks in a few of them. And he kind of gets bored and turns around and starts walking away. And she knows that he's walking away. And some reason, I mean, I guess this is the fight in her. She screams at him to come back. It's just out of nowhere. She's like, get back. Where? Hey, hey, you. And then there's a moment where you, you see that she realizes she probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> she like grabs her mouth real quick. So it must have been just this rush of adrenaline where she's like, you know what? I'm going to get this fucking bastard. He killed my friends. It's really an effective scene. It, it kind of doesn't. Again, it's one of those things that doesn't make sense for the character. But when you think about it, I, you know, you don't know. You just watched your boyfriend be his face cut off. You just saw your your friend. You just had to stab your friend. Your your other friend was chainsawed through the groin. You might get this moment where you're like, you know what? I'm not letting this fucker escape. And this is the <laughs> fight that comes out in her. He actually comes back and he starts yeah. um, opening the lockers. Yeah. And you, he gets to this locker and you think, because you can see her looking out and you think it's the one that she's in. But it's actually... The one that's across from her, and when he opens it, this fucking what is something run a, a pig. pig? I mean, <laughs> okay, this slaughter, yeah, this slaughterhouse <laughs> just has the random pigs just everywhere. So there's a pig in a locker. Okay, perfect sense. Well, I think I think she plotted this, and that's why she's like, "Come back!" <laughs> she's like, "You gotta! I have a plan. <laughs> I, have a, uh, I have a pig." <laughs> 
she she literally then jumps out of her locker and starts whapping his arm off with this bitch cuts his arm off with a meat cleaver. The hand drops while holding the chainsaw and starts spinning around on the floor, leaving a smear of blood. It is so badass. Jessica Beale is a fucking like queen in this sequence. She f- takes his hand off yeah. and she fucking takes off running. Uh, badass. Such a badass. I love this moment. And he's just flipping his shit. He's like, bleh, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> He he's sitting on the floor like, and again, but I don't remember because this movie had a, okay, this movie has a sequel. Oh, was yeah. there a sequel? The they, no, they they did the che- they did the beginning, which wasn't a sequel, but then they did another one, Texas Chainsaw 3D. Yeah. <gasps> I'm assuming that wasn't in this. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming that wasn't in the same universe. Yeah, so this is the only one where he's missing an arm. So uh, just, I think this exists in its own universe. Yeah, I feel like, though, if you look at all of the Chainsaw movies, the original series and the remix, it seems like all, almost all of them kind of have that uh, inconsistent element uh, beginning to end. I mean, from the first to the last, I feel like they're all almost kind of their own universe in a way, uh, especially with these sequels. They take a lot of, they make a lot of bold choices and I don't know. And I, I, I would say that I think out of all the, the remake from the remake on, I think the remake is the strongest. Um, but, uh, they overall, they just, they kind of change the storyline from film to film. Yeah. There's nothing consistent about it because like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, what was that one with, with Alexandria Daddario or she has that horrible line, something about cuz. Do your thing, cuz. Oh, was that 3D? Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D? Yes. Yeah, where so the, the timeline bad. makes zero sense because she's like 17, but it's supposed to be like 40 years after the, the original. Right. Yeah, it makes zero sense. But they tie it in to the original fil- like film in some ways. It's very weird. It's very weird. After she cuts his arm off, she gets away. And she actually runs out and gets picked up by a semi. Yeah, and while this is happening, I want to say the hand is... Still holding on to the chainsaw, spinning around. <laughs> spinning around. The driver's like, well, we, I'll take you and get you help. And so he's driving, and she sees him coming upon the uh, the gas station from earlier on. And she starts freaking out and grabbing the steering wheel of the semi. It starts swerving. He screeches a semi to a halt. It's like, girl, I don't know what your problem is. And he gets out. He stops in front of the gas station and goes in. And... Says he needs help because he has a girl that's, you know, hurt or, or freaked out in his in his semi. And it's the fucking family. All of them. All of them are there. The whole fucking bunch of them. Of course they are. And if even little fucking Jedediah is like peeking in the window trying to get attention and that ain't helping. And so the sheriff um, comes out and he goes up to the semi and there's this whole sequence of him walking around the vehicle. Uh, it's very suspenseful. It's, it's very much another cat and mouse sequence. They do it really well over the, uh, and every time they approach it in this movie, there's always like these long drawn out, like, where are they hiding? When is this moment going to hit moments? Because it's, because it's intercut with, with Jessica Beale jumping a vehicle and you're led to believe she's jumping the semi surprise. It ain't no semi. She's not. She's not because he opens the semi and she's not in there. And he's, as he backs away, this bitch comes at him full force in his police car that she just jumped and runs his ass over. 
And that ain't good enough because she backs back over him. <laughs> She's like, you bastard, backs over him and then runs over him a third time just to make sure. Oh, it's amazing. And it's after everything he's put these kids through and especially her by this point, it is so satisfying. This is an example of a villain who really gets their comeuppance uh, <laughs> because uh, you've been wanting to see him bite the fucking dust. The whole course of this movie, yeah. he is just such a cruel person. And, and when she succeeds here, it really is one of those moments. I remember when I saw it, the audience cheering um, because yeah, it is very yeah. impactful. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in the meantime, she went in and got the baby when they all came out to look for her. She ran in the, and, and got the baby. So she has the baby in the car with her. She saved the baby too, from being part of this in this fucking family. And Henriette is like, that baby's gone. <laughs> like, and, um, <laughs> I, um, I, you know, I will say like the baby angle is another part where it almost, it's almost like a little more than I needed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I could have done without that. Right. They really, yeah, I think I they really wanted to make her character just super likable, um, which I mean, okay, I'm fine with it. Um, and it ties, like, you know, it ties in, they make sure to web it in with the rest of the story, but, um, I'll take it. I'll take it. And so yeah. she's and driving she's away. Dr- yeah. And you're like, you get one final scare with Leatherface jumping out of the woods and, and chainsawing the car. She's driving down the road. I would say this, this made me jump even now watching it. And I knew, I knew it happened and it's just an effective jump scare. Very effective. Jump yeah. Scare. Yeah. There's like sparks all over cause it hits the car and he very much recreates the similar kind of wild spinning with the chainsaw that you think of when you think of the ending of the original film. Um, again, it's a difference not the same ending, but similar kind of tone, and they do a really good job of giving it a um, a homage feel at the end of this movie. Um, I love yeah. it. I love it. And of course, as, as you hit this climactic moment, she gets away, you do f- go back to the same kind of B-roll footage from the camera that I think they really did a very good job of recreating this vintage footage, by the way. Like, what a strong start and what a strong ending that this footage just looks so destroyed they did a great job with it but it picks up on where we started well yeah it picks up where the video that we see at the beginning leaves off so now the sheriff is walking into this basement and as he gets further into the basement fucking he gets attacked gets knocked down you hear the chainsaw just (laughs) you see this like blurry image of leatherface and then the end credits are like this is the only existing image of Thomas Hewitt and the fa- there's been no trace of the family ever since and the case is still cold. I'm like, okay. And it ends. <laughs> I don't know how Thomas Hewitt would have gotten away considering he just lost his hand and all the shit that just hit. I'm assuming that they killed that damn truck driver. Mm-hmm. And the family the family disappeared too, so yeah. um but that's it. That was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D. Definitely a, a little a much different approach than the first one. But still, I want to say, I know remakes get a bad rap, right? With the horror fans, because they're just, it's become such a saturation of of horror remakes. But I will gladly say, as far as in the realm of the slasher genre, this is probably the best remake out there in terms of the, the, the main kind of slasher villain remakes. We got the, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake was horrific. The Friday the 13th remake was horrific, which is surprising because it's the same director that directed this one. Marcus Nespel 
directed Friday the 13th and it just wasn't good. I think it lost a lot of the... Uh, yeah. We won't... It convoluted it. It, it. There was no... It didn't really resemble the first... The, the Friday the 13th films at all. It was more like a... It convoluted it. The, the, a, a version of this, which is almost like Rob Zombie-esque with all the you know side characters being these like you know, rednecks and just, you know, horrible people. But this is, this, this one's pretty good. It's still pretty rewatchable. Um, I appreciate a lot of what they do with this film. The performances are pretty solid. It's, I don't want to say it's an enjoyable watch because it's pretty brutal and there's pretty, some pretty brutal scenes, but it's definitely one of the better horror remakes out there. I mean, again, it's better than Nightmare on Elm Street remake. It's better than the Friday the 13th remake. It's better than the Halloween remake. Uh, and those are kind of the four big one, you know, the, the the four big slasher villains. It's even better than the Child's Play remake if we're even going there. When you think about Chucky as being an iconic slasher, so yeah, I, I do think it's a very good remake. I agree. I I agree. And like I said, you know, when I first saw this, this was really defining for me at a, at a younger age, uh, in the terms of the kind of horror that I wanted to consume. You know, and and I think in the, as far as slashers go. Uh, if you're looking for brutality, if you're looking for uh, a series of really well-executed death sequences, if you're looking for beautiful characters who are very, very heavily oiled over the course of the entire film, <laughs> you get all of it. Um, I think the re- depiction of Leatherface is very respectful, but um, at mm-hmm. the same time, it's mm-hmm. his own depiction of of who he is and... and um, you know, the little missteps aside, like the over-explanation and uh, I think they really try to spoon feed us some additional backstory that uh, exposition that we just like we said we really don't need it for this kind of movie but that's fine if they're going to do it this one is definitely committing the least grave offense out of all of them compared to fucking Rob Zombie my god but yeah no I, an overall a uh, really strong remake that manages to capture the tone and the vibe and the energy of the original film while still telling their own story in a way and uh, really well-balanced, a very well-balanced retelling that's both respectful and original. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think this is one we both agree on. It's, it's uh, it has a few little missteps, but as it's as a whole, it's a pretty solid little slasher film. That's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. Yes. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Was that, our first remake? Um, yes, it was. It was our first remake. Now watch us. Now watch me look back and think, oh shit, no, we did this. But no, I think it really is our first remake. So now, you're, now you have to ask me, Roger. You have to ask me. Uh, wh- what is your next selection? Oh my! Of course, I'm going to ask you. I've been chomping at the bit, waiting for you to tell me. Okay, Troy, what's your next selection? I am dying to tell you because you know, as an English teacher, I love theme. Right? I love themes. So for my next pick, because you just, you did, you did, you threw Texas Chainsaw Massacre out, out at me, you know, pretty unexpectedly going from possession to Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a huge, you know, but I like themes. So I'm going to stick with a theme and the theme is going to be, <laughs> it's not a theme. It's more of a topic, but we'll, we'll say theme chainsaw. <laughs> oh my God. I was hoping it was going to be fucking chainsaw. That's what a good theme. At least it's not, um, uh, pedophilia like it was last <laughs> for, month, so. for the whole month yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> the theme is chainsaw so 
for our next for our next episode, we are going to take a very insightful scholarly look <laughs> at the 1983 slasher film Pieces. <laughs> I mean, the title alone <laughs> it really gives you what you're looking for. If you're looking for chainsaws, look no further than fucking Pieces. Well. That's the tagline. The tagline of the film is it's exactly what you think it is. And oh boy, is it. Perfect. I love dismembering, so. <laughs> I can. Have you seen it? I've never seen Pieces, no. What the fuck? You've never seen Pieces? No, I've never seen fucking Pieces. <laughs> oh my god, you were oh, in for a fucking god. treat. You're beaming. You, I've never seen you look so happy in all my oh, life. Oh, I'm smiling. I'm smiling ear to ear now because you, you were going <laughs> to... Rosy-cheeked and button-eyed. <laughs> yeah, it's L- L- Linda Day George. Oh, A favorite. <laughs> right? You know, well, you'll know who it is. It's this buxom blonde that's playing... Uh, undercover i can't wait <laughs> you just have to watch i've heard a lot this about gonna pieces. Be the... i'll say this I've oh then you... oh i can't wait folks you better tune in to pieces next week because i have a feeling it's going to be probably our most entertaining episode yet because roger here has never seen it and for those of you who have seen it you know he's in for a real fucking treat oh my god what 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 aren't they in for a, t- a treat here at dark Dark i know Vegas? but this is going to be like the cream <laughs> of the crop treat because as Pieces says, you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. That's their other tagline. Oh my god, it's a perfect segue from this topic to the next. Yeah, I love so it. There you go, chainsaws, chainsaws, people, <laughs> chainsaw. chainsaws. It's chainsaw month. <laughs> Dark night of the podcast. I mean, we got plenty to pick from. We got plenty to we pick do. from. So they're coming, and and we hope yeah. you guys keep coming back for more of the merriment and the dismemberment here at Dark Night of the podcast. There we go. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. So thank you guys, as always, for tuning in to this episode. We are excited. Uh, and again, next week, you are in for a treat. I'm positive with the te- with the pieces, pieces, the film we're doing. Uh, and I'll have all kinds of stories to share from the Houston Horror Film Festival, which as soon as I get off this podcast, I am going to be full force and consume with that until Sunday night. So yay yes and yet he still managed to make time for all of you so my god do at least do him a favor and go give us a fucking like on one of our providers uh go go give us apple podcast go give us a a review perhaps five stars six if they let you um but for the love of god it's all we ask we keep giving you the material. You can give us a little bit of love and appreciation. We, I mean, for the love of ham, we gave you Jessica Beale's heavily oiled navel for the topic of today's conversation. What more do you want, homosexual <laughs> men? All righty. That is it. That is it. So we will see yeah. you next yeah. week for another episode. So thank you again for tuning in. And yeah, good night. On that note, we love you guys yeah. to pieces. <laughs> next week thank you (laughs) all right everybody good night